Thank you for joining with God's people. It's good for you. It's good for me. Hopefully, it's good for the world that we are here together. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to that passage that Chip read for us, uh, that passage over there in Mark chapter 5. That's where we're going to go in just a minute. Jesus has those famous words, do not be afraid, just believe. And that's what we're going to focus on in these, this, this paired set of miracle stories uh, that we have here at the end of uh, Mark chapter 5. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I don't know. What are you afraid of? What kinds of things are you afraid of? I, at my doctor's office, the new doctor that I'm going to now, if I go in for just like a blood test, they will give me, within a few hours, uh, a notice that says, you have new test results back. And this is not a good thing. Because they will just send me the raw data, you know, just the numbers, and, and they don't interpret it for another two days. Two days for me is a long time when I have access to the internet. You know, uh, I, I don't wait for a trained medical professional. Me and my years of medical experience, we get to work, Web uh, MD and Wikipedia, man, we will, I, I will try. And to this day, I still don't know which is the good cholesterol, LDL or HDL. I don't know. But I tell you what I do know. Every test result that you investigate, if you dig into the web far enough, it will tell you how this is going to kill you. It will, it will explain to you how this could be going wrong in your life and give you new things to be afraid of. I don't know, what are you afraid of? What kinds of things scare you? We live in a world that is scary, and we live in a world which monetizes fear. I've preached about this before. Our media, our news media especially, and a lot of our social media now, uh, makes money uh, by getting you to pay attention for longer. And there are three or four main strategies that help you to pay attention to what the news media is putting out. Fear is one of the big ones. And so we have high levels of expertise at scaring us being pumped into us every day. The more news we consume, the more we're going to get doses of things that are highly trained, skilled writers and creative people are, are shaping uh, the news in ways that will terrify us. So what are you afraid of? What are you scared of? Well, I want to investigate that a little bit, and I want to use this story here. Uh, the second half of Mark chapter 5. So if you've got your Bibles, let's take a peek at, at what we've got here. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. So Jesus has been on the far side of the lake, away from Capernaum, away from where he's done most of his ministry, and uh, he dealt with that uh, scary, scary demoniac that was living in the tombs and, and couldn't be contained. And then he's come back, had this uh, episode with the storm, and now he is back 
and it looks like he's back in Capernaum. It doesn't say that, but it sure looks like that's where he's come back to. And by tradition, that's where this episode takes place. And as he comes back, a huge crowd comes out to meet him. And verse 22 says, Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Now, I want to pause just for a second and think about this for a minute. We don't know for sure that this is the Capernaum synagogue. We don't know for sure that Jairus is a leader of that synagogue. He's a leader of some synagogue. But the fact that a leader of a Jewish synagogue has come to this position is a big deal. To say, Jesus, come heal my daughter. It's a big deal. Earlier, all the way back to chapter 1, if you've got a real Bible, you can flip to it. Mark chapter 1, verse 21 They went to Capernaum, and when Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue, and he began to teach. And the people were amazed at his his teaching, because he taught them as one who has authority, and not like the teachers of the law. This guy just gets up and says it. Just then, a man in the synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out. This is a long-standing problem. Everybody in the synagogue knows about it. They can't do anything about it. This guy is just a, a, a repetitive problem in that congregation. Man possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. So this guy causes a huge outroar, but in doing so, he confesses Jesus Christ. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Be quiet, Jesus said. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And the people were all amazed and they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching. And with authority he gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region. Of Galilee. Was that Jairus' own synagogue where that episode took place? Or did he hear about this? And that's what led him to Jesus. Look over in chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, people heard that he had come home and they gathered in such large numbers there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. And some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And it goes on and tells the story of how they can't get to Jesus any other way but ripping a hole, digging down through the roof to lower this guy so that he can be healed. And that story spreads. Was that in Jairus' own town? Or did he hear about it secondhand? What was his attitude towards Jesus. It says in the story that the teachers of the law were there and they were looking at Jesus when he says, your sins are forgiven, and they were saying, who can forgive sins? Only God's allowed to do that. You're going to get that done up at the temple. Who can do this? 
Was Jairus one of the ones saying that? Was he one of the ones in that room when that miracle took place? Mark has laid a foundation here. I don't know that this is all involving Jairus, but it may well have been. Look over in chapter 3. Look at verse 22. The teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He's possessed by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, is how he is driving out demons. And Jesus deals with that objection. These are the leaders that Jairus and the other leaders of the synagogue are answerable to, these leaders who come down from Jerusalem. What's going on in Jairus's mind as he sees the career of Jesus? He sees the miracles happen. He sees spirits leaving. He sees diseases cured. He also sees people responding to a message from Jesus Christ that is not the message being given by his order, by his people, the orthodox message that is always taught in the synagogues. What's going on in Jairus's mind? Well, we don't know. What we do know is this. When his daughter got sick, he came to Jesus. And I want you guys to think about that for a second. When his daughter got sick, he came to Jesus. He may have had enormous reasons to reject Jesus theoretically and theologically, but when his daughter got sick, he came to Jesus. I don't know what's going on in your life. You're here in church, so I know you, you care about Jesus. But every one of us has things that will sometimes keep Jesus partly at arm's length. So part of the function of preaching is to invite each one of us Take down any barriers that are, keeping you, that are keeping Jesus away from you. Let Jesus all the way in. And you can have barriers that keep Jesus away that are questions you have. You can have barriers that keep Jesus away because you don't feel all the way worthy to let Jesus all the way in. You can have barriers from your past and what you've been taught in the past. All kinds of things can keep Jesus out. I just like the fact that Jairus, what we know triggers him to come to Jesus is that his daughter is ill. Here's the idea I'd like to leave you with. When it comes to believing in Jesus, when it comes to belief, the how and the why matter less than the who. You know? I don't think you need to wait until everything is lined up just right in your head to turn to Jesus. I don't think you need to leave, lose much sleep over that until you've straightened yourself out or until you've resolved every question you have 
or until all those issues can be clarified for you. I think it's not about your belief being the right kind of psychological belief even. It's about who you're going to believe in. It's about putting your trust in Jesus Christ. If you can get just a mustard seed worth of trust in Jesus Christ, then the results begin to follow. And that's what happens for Jairus. Jesus says, okay, I'm coming. I'll come to your place. And the rest of the story follows from that. Now, on the way to Jairus, Jesus' path is interrupted by this other great story. Here's someone else with a lot to be afraid of. Here's someone else with a lot to lose and a lot to gain by turning to Jesus. Look down in verse 25 if you have your Bibles. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. He turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciple answers, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. It's a great story. It's always paired with this other story of going to heal this synagogue leader's daughter. This woman has a kind of illness that would make her a perpetually unclean woman in the, in the law, in the law of Moses. She can never get pure because the issue of blood, the hemorrhaging that she's doing, will never allow her to get to a place to fulfill the purification rituals. Flow of blood has to stop, and then there has to be a period of cleansing before you can ever be pure again. She's been impure, unclean, for years. Not welcome in the synagogue, not welcome in normal people's houses, not welcome in polite society. Of course she doesn't want this to come to light. Of course she wants to handle this in the quietest way possible. There's a huge crowd, I'll just sneak up, I'll just touch the hem of the garment. Of course that's the way she handles it. It doesn't matter very much how you come to Jesus, it matters that you come to Jesus. She comes to Jesus, and the results follow. Her life is changed, her fears are gone, and her suffering is ended. As soon as this episode ends, some people come walking up to Jesus and the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus. As soon as Jesus has said to this woman, your 
Your faith has healed you. People come up, look at verse 35. Jesus was still speaking. Some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? That's a moment of fear. That's a moment when people could turn away. That's a moment when people could say, well, it's hopeless now. And that's exactly the message that these folks are giving. Jesus' answer is don't be afraid. Overhearing what they said, verse 36, Jesus said, don't be afraid, just believe. I like this story because it confronts that, one of our most basic fears, our fear of death. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. Fear is going to be with us in this world. And a lot of how your life is going to go is going to be determined by what you do with the fact that there are scary things in this world. Me? I know it's not healthy to go on WebMD and Wikipedia and look up those things that I look up. I can hardly help myself. But every time I do, I feed my fear. And guess what happens when you feed your fear? It gets bigger. I know it's not healthy. When I see a news story and it hooks my eye, what it almost feels like, you know, just, oh, I got to read that. And I know I'm being manipulated. But still, I got to read the whole thing. And by the end, I'm terrified or really, really full of hate. You know, usually those are the two big ones. And I know I'm being manipulated. I'm feeding my fear. Fear... The more attention you give it, the bigger it gets. It feeds on itself. Fear grows by feeding on itself. And it would have been easy for this to cycle. And Jesus just says, don't be afraid. Just believe. He gives us the antidote. One of the key antidotes for managing fear in your life. This last week, there were two remembrances that our nation did that were sparked in both cases, I think, by fear, ultimately. This last Friday was the 60th anniversary of the Birmingham uh, bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church. Four young girls killed, ages 11 to 14. By fear. Court case had come down just a few weeks earlier. It required segrega uh, segregation to end 
The schools were being integrated, outbursts of various kinds of hate. And that church bombing was one of those outbursts, murderous. Earlier this week on Monday, 3,000 people we remembered killed on 9-11, also driven by fear. Al-Qaeda is a fear-based network. Fear that Islam has lost its place in the world, that Islam has lost its ability to stand up to Western culture and Western values. And if we don't do something right now, all of that will fade into history. And fear reaches out for horrific violence. That was what sparked 9-11. That was what sparked the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing. Fear. How your life goes is really going to depend on what you do with fear. There are things in the world that are scary. What are you going to do with it? And Jesus says, do not be afraid, only believe. Now, he puts muscle behind that with the story that unfolds. He didn't let anyone follow him, verse 37 says, except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion. The people were wailing and crying loudly. He went in and he said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead but asleep. They all laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was and he took him by the hand, took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up, began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Instead of death, life. Do not be afraid, just believe. Living belief in Jesus makes fear fade away. You live in a world that has fearful things in it. And I think the call is not to pretend like nothing's scary. I think the call is to bracket your fears with your trust in Jesus Christ. The things that scare us need to have a bracket in front and a bracket at the end. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is coming. And and it could be financial trouble. It could be disease. It could be death. It could be any number of things. 
Jesus is Lord. Jesus is coming. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Let's pray. Dear God and Father, we thank you for your blessings to us. We thank you for the stories of Jesus that we have in the Gospel of Mark that give us courage. And God, we pray that when we're faced with things that scare us, we will turn our face to your Son, Jesus Christ. God, help us to live in the truth that Jesus took our sins upon himself and nailed them to the cross when he was nailed to the cross. Help us to live in the truth that death could not hold him, but he rose and that he will cause each one of us to rise. God, help us to live in the truth, whatever the fears are that we face, that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is coming. And Lord, we ask, let your son Jesus come quickly. In his name we pray, amen. If you need to respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ, if you need to say something to the church or ask for something publicly from the church, then in just a moment you can come forward and tell us what we can do for you. Or if today is the day that you want to put on Jesus Christ in baptism, we invite you to come as we stand and are led in snow.